those remaining here uh, with us in the sanctuary, Jim, it's both. Uh, you can turn to Psalm 98 in your Bible. Uh, that was printed for you in the bulletin also. As you're turning there, I want to think to yourself, I want you to think to yourself, um, how do you feel about the concept of God's judgment? Uh, maybe to personalize it a little bit more, how do you feel about God judging you? This is probably the last thing you were hoping I would talk about this morning. Let me read to you one verse from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians on God's judgment. The Apostle Paul says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's from Paul. Here's another one from Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And if we just stop there, we'd think, yes, that that sounds great. Jesus coming in glory, uh, angels, throne, all the nations. It sounds amazing. It goes on though. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's Jesus. Judgment. Uh, For most of us, that's a really hard topic. And maybe you're here and you don't consider yourself a Christian. And this could be a big reason why. You just cannot get on board with a God who judges. Uh, What if, rather than being something that we try to either ignore or explain away, what if God's judgment was something so good that we actually sang about it? Uh, We're in a series right now in the Apostles' Creed. The Creed has been around for centuries. It unites lots of different types of Christians around the world. And it sort of serves as a roadmap to helping us know what are essential beliefs in the Bible. And today we're looking at the part of the Creed where we say that we believe Jesus is going to come to judge the living and the dead. Psalm 98 is our text and Psalm 98 is a worship song. Let me read this for us. We'll read the entire thing. Beginning in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Would you meet us now as we consider it? Would you help us to understand? Help us to believe? Help us to grow in this time? 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, We love the Hamilton soundtrack in our house. Um, It has been playing in some form for about three years uh, in our house right now. Parents, obviously use discretion if you want to play that soundtrack in front of your kids. Um, One of the songs on the soundtrack is called You'll Be Back by King George. Um, It's especially good if you watch the movie version of it because Jonathan Groff, uh, who originally played King George on Broadway, he walks out onto the stage wearing this sort of over-the-top kingly attire and he stands completely alone on stage and he sings the entire song standing still, which for a musical like Hamilton, or any musical really, is a stark contrast to the rest of the play. Uh, The tune of You'll Be Back is this really fun, uh, light-hearted, kind of catchy sing-along song and Jonathan Groff's um, facial expressions are just priceless as he sings. And uh, while the tune is fun and lighthearted, I want you to listen to these lyrics that he's singing. This is King George singing to the colonists. It's going to be hard for me not to break out in song as I read this. It's okay if you want to sing along. You say, the price of my love's not a price that you're willing to pay. You cry in your tea which you hurl in the sea when you see me go by. Why so sad? Remember we made an arrangement when you went away. Now you're making me mad. Remember, despite our estrangement, I'm your man. You'll be back. Soon you'll see. You'll remember you belong to me. You'll be back. Time will tell. You'll remember that I served you well. Oceans rise. Empires fall. We've seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. You say our love is draining and you can't go on. You'll be the one complaining when I am gone. And no, don't change the subject, because you're my favorite subject, my sweet submissive subject, my loyal royal subject, forever and ever and ever and ever. You'll be back like before. I will fight the fight and win the war for your love, for your praise, and I'll love you till my dying days. When you're gone, I'll go mad, so don't throw away this thing we had. Because when push comes to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. And you're listening to this song, and when you've heard enough, you're just sort of singing along, maybe not thinking about the lyrics, and you hear that last line of the song, and you're like, wait, what did I just say? What did I just sing out loud? Is he really singing joyfully about threatening to come and kill in order to remind them of his love? And of course, the irony is that the content of the lyrics It does not match the happy tune of the song. In fact, it leaves you with this question, should he be singing about that? How is it that we can sing about God's judgment? Is that something we should be singing about? Um, We're going to hit that question last. But I want us to zoom out and ask, what are the reasons to sing according to Psalm 98? Three reasons it gives us. Uh, Three reasons to sing. Salvation, invitation, and judgment. First reason to sing is salvation. Look at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. All right, let's ask a few questions. What salvation is this song about? Remember, we're in the Old Testament here, so Jesus has not yet come to save us. 
But God's salvation to the original audience, it would call to mind all the times God had protected or saved his people Israel from their actual enemies. Um, saved them uh, when, in battles when the cards were stacked against them. Uh, saved them from complete devastation when surrounding nations would invade. Um, but the big salvation event for Israel was the Exodus, where God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. You can read about that in Exodus 12 and 14. It's sort of the salvation event of the Old Testament. So when they sing this song, they are remembering God's salvation. And they're singing to God that he is marvelous for saving them. That it's his strength, his right hand, his holy arm. He is the one who saved them. It's a salvation song for Israel, but we can join in this song as well. Uh, What salvation do we sing about? We join God's people in the past by remembering the ways that he saved his people throughout history. That's why it's important for us to read the Old Testament and to to study it and to meditate on it. So we join them in their song. But we have the New Testament also. And we see our ultimate salvation in Jesus Christ. And the salvation offered in Jesus is actually the pinnacle of the entire Bible. All of it leads up to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And and this is everything to us. uh, Because it's the place where our sin and our guilt are dealt with. It's where uh, the reality of our wrongness before God and his rightness is given to us. Um, The cross is the place of the great exchange uh, where the perfect sinless Savior takes our sin upon himself and pays for it in full on the cross and in exchange gives us his perfect righteousness where we're now clothed with his perfection, with his purity, with his holiness. And it's ours by faith. That's the good news. It's all the work of Jesus that we simply receive and rest on. We don't earn it. We don't achieve it. We receive this as a gift from God. That's the salvation that we sing about. Um, Contrast King George from Hamilton with the Alice Cooper song, School's Out for Summer. When asked about the inspiration for this international hit song, Cooper said he was inspired to write this song when answering the question, what's the greatest three minutes of your life? He says, one is Christmas morning, waiting to open presents. The other is the last three minutes of the last day of school when you're sitting there and it's like a slow burning fuse. He said, if, I can, if we can catch that three minutes in a song, it's going to be so big. And he nailed it. I mean, even to this day, this May, we'll, we'll start singing it around our house. School's out for summer. And we'll start singing and singing. And it makes sense to sing a song about school being out for summer because that's an amazing feeling. It makes sense to sing a song about our salvation. Because it's amazing news. Not only is our sin dealt with, but we are given the righteousness of Christ. Um, Not only are we saved individually, but we are called into community with others who have also been saved. Um, Not only do we experience joy of salvation in this life, in part, but we get to experience it to the nth degree in eternity, in the next life. And when that gets deep into your heart, you'll sing. And here's where this hits you personally. Does your salvation make you sing? Um, If not, if it feels like just maybe like a box that you check on like your life checklist. Or maybe church is something that you do to appease your spouse or your parents. 
or because you think your kids need religion in their lives, uh, but you're not really singing, if you're honest. Um, Maybe you just sort of feel indifferent about it all. If that's where you're at, the place to start for you is actually with the bad news. If you don't grasp the bad news of your sin, you will never want to sing about the good news of salvation. Uh, Think about it this way. If you have never felt the burden of being in debt financially and sort of slogging your way through to pay it off, then you're never really going to fully appreciate making that last payment and starting to positively build wealth. Uh, So if you're not singing, do you know how serious your sin is? Uh, Once you do, you'll start singing about salvation. That's the first reason to sing is salvation. Second reason to sing, invitation. Invitation. Who gets invited into this song? Israel does. Look at verse 3. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. So Israel, that's the Old Testament people of God, his chosen people. And when the Israelites gathered to sing, they were remembering this salvation. And they were remembering God's special care for them. That he's been faithful. That he's remembered his committed love to them. And he's made good on his promises just time and time Again, so as his chosen people, they're invited into this song. But it goes beyond Israel. Who else is invited? The nations are invited. Look at verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. He's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Look at verse 3. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. All nations, the watching world, they have seen God bring this salvation and they're invited into this song of worship. Uh, What's the implication with this? The implication is this salvation is not just for his people Israel, but it's for all the nations, for any who would bow the knee to this one true God. God's salvation, it's offered to all. The invitation goes out to the nations, every tongue, every tribe, every culture, every income bracket, every skin color, Every nation is invited into this song of worship. The invitation goes even further. It goes to all creation. Look at verses 7 and 8. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. I spent a day last summer at Triple Falls in North Carolina. Uh, If you haven't been, you need to go. Um, I went to the, to the base of one of the waterfalls and I got as close as I could to the waterfall and still remain relatively dry and I sat on a rock off to the side and I just watched and I listened. And um, the roar of that waterfall, it was almost deafening. It just gets so loud. Somehow you get accustomed to this deafening sound of this waterfall. But it's just a constant rush of water over the rocks. And as I sat there, I had this very simple thought. This waterfall never stops. Uh, 3 a.m., no one's out here, waterfall's still going. Uh, dead of winter when it's too cold to go hiking, waterfall's still going. Uh, years and years ago, before this was a, a popular hiking trail, this waterfall, it was roaring. Triple Falls never stops roaring. The seas and the rivers, they never stop singing to God. It is constant. Creation sings to him. Psalm 148, listen to the specific elements of creation that are invited to worship God. Sun, moon, stars, skies, earth, 
sea creatures, fire, hail, snow, mist, wind, mountains, hills, fruit trees, cedars, beasts, livestock, creeping things, birds. All of creation is invited to sing. And that's a big invitation. Do you know that you're invited into this song? Uh, Maybe this is your first time really meaningfully going to church and actually beginning to think for yourself about your faith. And maybe there's something this season that just feels different to you spiritually than it ever has in your life. And, And maybe you feel like you're on the edge of real faith but you haven't quite put your foot in the door yet. It can sort of be like uh, you're going to like a social gathering or a party and there's something, and you physically walk up to the house where this is happening and and the the party and the social gathering is happening inside and you're standing outside the door alone and you know that there's people already in there and you can sort of see through the window there's people in there and um, those people inside, they already kind of know the feel of that party, right? They, They figure out Um, where the appetizers are. They figured out where to put their coats. They figured out the layout of the floor plan of this house where the party is. And they found their three to four people to sort of huddle up with with their drink and their appetizer and have a conversation at that party. And you feel like the person sitting outside that party thinking, it looks really fun. I want to go in there. But I know I'm going to have to step through this door. And I'm going to have to figure out where to put my coat. And where to get the appetizers. And I'm going to have to find my three to four people to huddle up with and talk to. It feels daunting and a little overwhelming to walk through that door. But I I want to go in there. Um, If that is where you are spiritually right now. Please walk through the door. Please walk through the door. Could it be that the stirring that you are feeling in this season right now. Is the spirit of God stirring in you. Inviting you into this song. We sing about salvation. We sing about the invitation. Uh, There's one more reason to sing in our passage, which which gets to our original question. Third reason to sing is judgment. Look at verse 9. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Um, How could it be that God's judgment is a reason for us to sing? Uh, Ray Kanata and Josh Rotano in their book on the Apostles' Creed rooted do a really great job of explaining this. I have relied on them heavily throughout this series, quoted them extensively already for this last point. Um, Much of what I'm going to say is either explicitly or implicitly from them in their chapter on judgment. Uh, So much of this is not my original thoughts, but theirs. According to this psalm, God's judgment is good news. And it's good news for those who've been sinned against. And it's good news for those who have sinned. Let's talk about it in that way. First, God's judgment is good news for those who have been sinned against. Um, Have you ever been sinned against and not been able to exact justice yourself? Um, Have you seen international atrocities on the news and just thought something must be done about this? Uh, The authors of Rooted quote, and this is one of the discussion quotes in your bulletin. They say, all of us have experienced persecution or injustice to one degree or another. All of us have been sinned against. The doctrine of God's judgment is the only reason for hope that one day things will be made right. Without a final judgment, the books will never be balanced. Um, Jesus coming again to judge the world will balance the books of justice... Once and for all. 
I'll never forget sitting on the sofa with Aaron years ago watching the live coverage of the manhunt for uh, the Boston Marathon bombers. Uh, It was just days after the bomb went off at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. The whole country was just shocked and reeling and and every major news outlet was covering uh, the hunt for these brothers who were thought to be guilty of setting off these bombs and I remember watching when sort of the lights shone on them where they were like hidden in this like boat in someone's backyard it was just this crazy overwhelming scene when they were finally captured and arrested it just it felt so right that they were caught Um, these victims deserved justice Uh, think about the many injustices that have occurred and not been fully dealt with Generations of slavery, uh, the Holocaust, uh, modern-day human trafficking. Um, Those are on sort of big scales. Unfortunately, we could go around this room and we could all name the individual personal ways in which we've been sinned against or wronged and unable to get justice and make it right. Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. And it is good news for those who've been sinned against. But God's judgment is also good news for sinners. Why? First reason is this. God judges in love. He judges in love. Verse 3, he's remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. Um, Just six verses in our passage separate this celebration of God's love and the celebration of God's judgment. Again, quoting the authors of Rooted, they say, God's love is never set against his judgment. Both work together. God is not fickle. He does not have good or bad days. Nor do his love and justice depend on his mood. God is completely consistent in his character. His love and his justice work together. Love, justice, always held together perfectly in God. So he judges in love. Why else is his judgment good news for sinners? God judges with perfect righteousness. Look at verse 9. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Um, It can be easy to get hung up on the judgment of God when our only category for judgment is from people who have done it poorly, who have judged um, unfairly or inconsistently, um, and where maybe someone comes across as judgy and self-righteous. That feels terrible to be on the receiving end of that. And uh, that's the last thing we want to think about God in those terms. And thankfully that's not the kind of judge that God is. God is perfectly righteous and perfectly just in his judgment. Uh, He sees things perfectly. He decides things perfectly. Uh, He is without error in his judgment and his standard is perfect and unchanging. He judges in love and he judges in righteousness. Last reason God's judgment is good news for sinners is that God's judgment saves. His judgment saves. Listen to John chapter 19. So when Pilate Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and set him down on the judgment seat. He said to the Jews, behold your king, they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Uh, 
Pilate sat on the judgment seat and judged Jesus. So Jesus went to the cross. And what happens on the cross? God's wrath against sin is poured out onto Jesus. He absorbs the judgment of God so that we don't have to. His judgment means our salvation. Uh, And to say that God's judgment is good news does not take away from the appropriate sense of fear that comes from being on the wrong side of it. Jesus really will come back to judge everyone. And scripture says we do not know when that's going to happen. We have no idea, but it will happen. And we will all stand before the judgment seat. And when we do, there are only two options. Uh, To be hidden in Christ or to stand on our own. Um, Said another way, you can either trust in Jesus' record or you can try to hold up your own record. The warning of this passage is that you cannot stand on your own. And the good news of this passage, passage is that Jesus stood in your place. And so here's the question for you this morning. Where do you stand with God? He offers himself to you this morning. Won't you receive him by by faith, the one who was judged so that you might be saved? Because when you do that, that will give you reason to sing about God's judgment. Let's pray together. Father, we join the song. We join the song of salvation. We join the song of invitation. And we even join the song of judgment. Thank you that ultimately in Jesus, when we hide ourselves in him, his judgment means our salvation. We praise you. We fall down before you in praise. Father, help us to do the honest self-reflection of where we stand before you today. And Father, if there are those here who don't believe, would you reveal that to them? Give them the gift of faith, of belief for the first time. Father, if there are those here who do believe but struggle with doubt, would you confirm their belief, strengthen their faith today? And Father, would you meet us all as we prepare to come to you at the table? In Jesus' name, amen.